You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. First of all, thank you for uh, bringing uh, together this seminar. Um, one of the questions that the organizers uh, sent around in preparation for this uh, event was that um, how uh, important is this issue? I would say that this is the issue. We have known about climate change, the scientific evidence for around 40 years, like solid evidence of the uh, <coughs> urgency, the importance to deal with this, and also in some sense what is needed to be done. It has been on the global agenda for 30 years as an issue to deal with. It has been on the national political agenda also around 30 years. The window of opportunity of actually acting with this knowledge is closing very, very fast, extremely fast, extremely fast. At the same time, we have right-wing politicians, as well as fossil fuel industry, bedfellows together and trying to do everything they can for us to keep on destroying the planet. This is the issue. And thank you for bringing this seminar together to discuss this. So I'm invited here to be the expert that actually brings together the gender uh, issues and the environmental studies uh, and uh, understanding and studies of uh, the far right and the environmental politics at the moment. So uh, sorry for this picture in the, in the middle. Uh, it's going to come uh, later on. But my interest for this issue uh, started when I, together with a colleague of Jonas Almsel, looked into, deep into the uh, climate change debate in Sweden from 2006 to 2009. And what we saw there was the embryo or the beginning of um, counter science uh, organizing around climate change denial arguments in Sweden. What we saw there uh, when the climate change was on the agenda uh, the last time, as much as it is today, was that a certain group of men with uh, had influential uh, positions within industry and academia uh, organized around and was uh, spreading ideas of climate change denial from the US in which they had been prominent for a couple of years back. But we thought that this was so interesting and, and it, we were puzzled about the fact that this group was very homogeneous. It was elderly men, as said, elderly men who had been a very strong position, an influential position in the, what, the industrial modern society. So the industrial modern society, um, in the, in the 20th century, 
that is kind of large-scale industries uh, think about nature as only as a resource for human economic growth and uh, doesn't really care that much about the the waste either it goes to the atmosphere or it goes to the lakes uh, understand the planet as um, a, a very uh, that can take a lot of um, hits so to speak uh, they are uh, not that aware of the risks as Annika also uh, talked about in, in her presentation um, uh, it's a kind of idea that the environment um, doesn't isn't able to be harmed that much and this is ideas and values that climate science very much is opposed to because climate science tells us that the earth and the the ecological systems they are fragile we are affecting it and we are doing that with this industrial modern logic in which we are putting waste into the atmosphere in form of greenhouse gases uh, and lakes and the nature so this was my starting point this article the green fatwa climate change as uh, opposition to industrial masculinity and we have developed that recently in an anthology uh, in which we discuss about this industrial breadwinner masculinities, climate change, and understanding this white male effect of climate change denial. White male effect is something that research has been studying in various types of sectors and industries, and which is a way to describe that white males seems to have this idea that they can they can take risks and that that's part of what they do and um, that makes consequences also for themselves because uh, they are also killed in in work-related accidents and they um, are killed in in when they do risk sports for example but it seems that this idea of being at the same time at the top of uh, the societal gender system it also gives these men a, a kind of understanding of themselves as as not vulnerable and that also plays out towards the, the planet and, this, and the climate and <coughs> what we saw there in um, beginning around 2008 2009 was the spread of a couple of uh, conspiracy theories. So the title of our paper, the Green Fatwa, um, was this idea that a, a couple of um, uh, authors and, and men at that time uh, had the idea that the, um, the climate change research uh, was seen as a green fatwa towards the industrial modern society. And uh, this was then taken up, and, and in when the Sweden Democrats came into the Swedish Parliament 2010, they were approached, and they themselves approached uh, the Stockholm Initiative, which is a group of uh, climate change deniers in Sweden. And uh, they met, they had conversations. Uh, people from Stockholm Initiative read the Sweden Democrats um, energy and environmental uh, policies and they exchanged ideas and this paper in this chapter about the far right and the environment is following that trajectory 
And 2013, uh, Joseph Franzson, uh, the energy and environmental spokesperson for Sweden Democrats at that time, was the first um, uh, person uh, representing a, a political party in Sweden talking about and spreading climate change ide uh, ideas in the Swedish parliament. He said, for example, that uh, researchers are only in it for the money and uh, there's no science behind it. It's only uh, their interests of, of uh, getting a good pay. He also said that uh, the Swedish agriculture, the Minister of Agriculture was all uh, lobbied and all taken over by vegans. Uh, <coughs> I've also studied this overlap of values in between right-wing nationalism, uh, well, as I call it, and uh, climate change denialism and uh, gender issues, not least in connection to masculinities. In a study in Norway, this is a study of um, of Gallup data uh, for Norway, which is a follow-up of a study in, done in, in uh, the US. And also here we can see that men with um, conservative values and also uh, anti-immigrant values, they also tend to uh, bring up climate change denial arguments and they, they tend not to take climate science for real. From this, I also want to go to the bigger picture and um, talk a bit about uh, why is it, is it so that um, the far-right or right-wing nationalist political parties today bring in um, climate change denial arguments and do spread them. So in our paper, that we focused on Sweden Democrats, but also brought in uh, research from uh, political parties in Europe, we see that they use a couple of arguments um, that is more important than others. As Daniel brought up, the anti-establishment argument is very prominent. And that has also of lately been connected to a lots of conspiracy theories. So the last one that is uh, circulating that I saw this morning is Greta Thunberg and, and George Soros. So that connection is now a big meme uh, and it's a, it seems to be a, an image that um, is totally fake, but it is, and it is actually also said that it is fake for, for uh, by the the person who has done it, but it is spread as it would be a truth. And this is something that we see in a PhD project now uh, that I'm supervising. So I am the research leader of uh, a center for studying climate change denial in uh, Chalmers in Gothenburg. And we have five people uh, employed and the bigger issue that we are thinking about is that how can we have had the knowledge about climate change for so long and not been doing anything about it? And we focus on three aspects there. So we focus on uh, extractive industries, the influence of that, 
um, and we focus on think tanks and their influence and then the connection to right-wing nationalism because those three um, uh, those, th those three um, empirical um, uh, uh, sections has been um, uh, exposed in previous research to influence the uh, construction and the spread of climate change denial. Okay, but back to the conspiracy theories. Uh, so one of, of the PhD students, he's focusing on the um, uh, uh, the um, hate and the um, conspiracy theories spread and connected to Greta Thunberg. So this is one of the ways that this is done, to connect Greta Thunberg to um, uh, supposedly have been paid off and been a puppet of, of um, economic interest. And in this case, of course, this fits very well also into the far-right image, uh, since George Soros has been um, a target of this type of campaigns in, in all over the world. Um, so that's one of the ways in which this overlap, the conspiracy theories. And the other one, um, and, and that is connected to this anti-establishment rhetoric. Another one is ethno-nationalism. So um, uh, climate change denial and far-right uh, or right-wing nationalism is also connected to the idea that um, certain countries and certain people have already done their part and are already doing well within the climate change politics. And this is brought up by the Sweden Democrats, for example, saying that Sweden is such a small country, we have such a small emissions globally, and uh, Swedes, we are so good at uh, environmental technology, so we don't have to do anything at home. And this is, as you all know, in very much in conflict with the high amount of um, CO2 emissions per person that every Swede's got. We in with consumption that's almost 10 tons, and uh, that is not what we need to be down to if we're going to take this seriously. We need to go down to 1.5. So this is an ethno-nationalist argumentations that they are using. Um, then it's another important aspect also. I think that we sometimes forget, but it this connection to industrial modern nostalgia. So um, this nostalgia of the Sweden's 1950s, 1960s is an important image for these type of, of political parties. And uh, they also kind of connect this to industrial modern society. And when then the climate science tells us that, okay, that was also a period in which we started to use fossil fuels um, in larger, and we put in place the car automobile systems, um, and later on we began to travel by, by airplane. So the industrial modern society and infrastructures actually needs to be really rebuilt uh, and, and, and changed very dramatically. But this is, doesn't really fit into the far rights and the, and the right-wing nationalist ideas of this period as something that, that was really 
an, an image uh, that they are longing for. So those three aspects we have found in our research, specifically focus on Swedish Democrats, that's been really important. Uh, I also want to uh, add to the bigger pictures a bit what Daniel brought up um, uh, about the, the new trend that we are seeing, not only uh, far-right political parties and uh, right-wing nationalist parties uh, taking climate change denialism on board, um, but also that we see a trend of um, what you called eco-terrorists or eco-fascists uh, that are actually legitimizing their white supremacy ideologies uh, via ideas of, of saving the planet. And I would say, I would actually bring the history a bit further back than you did, Daniel, because I think that this in many ways ties into a national romanticism, uh, this idea of uh, that was prominent in the late 19th centuries and beginning of 20th centuries, and in where we also these kind of national parks were established. Um, this type of specific national uh, landscapes were really prominent at this time. And of course that also played into um, a hierarchy of landscapes and also a hierarchy of, of people at that time. So that was very closely connected. So this type of overpopulation arguments, I think you didn't mention there, but the Christchurch terrorists also used the overpopulation argument, and, and uh, that has very uh, long historical roots, and it is used to legitimize um, uh, uh, these type of terrorist acts, especially against Muslims, because then the argument goes that the Muslims are the ones that are giving birth to too many children, and we need to get rid of them. But we need to keep our race, the white race, uh, because otherwise we get flooded. So that is what we see also at the same time as we see that climate change denial has been uh, brought up and have been a very core of right-wing nationalism at the time. Uh, finally, um, I would also like us to think about this issue a bit broader also to connect it to to other societal changes that has been happening um, I think this is this is important I think that one um, aspect we need to take into account is how these ideas are nowadays spread on digital media and through social media. Um, so um, we saw in Sweden that the uh, newspapers um, almost um, didn't at all bring up climate change denial ideas and didn't spread them from around 2000 and 11 to 2000 and, and uh, yeah, uh, to 2016-17. Uh, but what we 
instead saw was that the rise of, of uh, right-wing nationalists owned or sponsored or ideologically influenced uh, digital media like Samnit uh, and uh, Sveb TV, uh, they instead brought in this type of, type of ideas. And that has been used and that has been um, also financed, uh, which is what I want to end with also, that the longer history of climate change denial is connected to uh, fossil fuel industries, their own research and realization in the end of the 1980s, that if they would take their own science for real, produced within these fossil fuel industries, like ExxonMobil, for example, if they would take that for real, they needed to change the business model totally. But they didn't. Instead, they started to fund through Heartland Institute and other think tanks, climate contrarian science. And there, we actually find the roots to the problems that we are discussing today. Thank you. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews. <laughs>